Safety, dependability, and power. Chevy Silverado isn't happy unless the work is hard and the day is long. No wonder Silverado is America's number one best-selling retail pickup truck. Go to ChevyDriveChicago.com and put a Silverado in your toolbox. Collegiately speaking. And we're underway. Needs a block on the picker and gets it. And will he go the distance? Yes, he will. As the Hokies deliver the dagger here in Tallahassee. Intercepted by the Wildcats. The Wildcats win. Unbelievable. Here's Collegiately Speaking, your one-stop shop for college football news. With Dave Eddy and former Northwestern quarterback Dan Person. How much you want to make a bet I can throw a football over the mountain? Collegiately Speaking. And welcome to Collegiately Speaking as we are now down to three weeks of the regular season remaining. Around college football, the Big Ten, with things still up for grabs. Dave Ennett here, joined by former Northwestern quarterback Dan Persa. Super Joe will join us later with his predictions. We're going to visit with the voice of the Wisconsin Badgers, Matt LaPay, Wisconsin, hosting Northwestern Saturday at Camp Randall Stadium. And the Badgers have fought their way very much into the picture after a 1-3 and three start. More on that coming up but uh, dan you and i were in evanston saturday night great night beautiful weather uh for the uh, rivalry game between iowa and northwestern i think it's a rivalry game anyway we've talked about that but this has been a pretty intense rivalry over the years and and the hawkeyes who were ranked number two in the country uh, just a few weeks ago coming in on a two-game losing streak and Went down to the wire, as it turned out, but uh, the Wildcats unable to pull off the upset as Iowa held on to win 17-12, to intercepting quarterback Andrew Marty three times. Uh, just your thoughts on, on that game and where Northwestern is right now as far as the quarterback position. Yeah, it was it was an interesting game. It ended up being a little bit closer, and and the the Cats fought back towards the end there, which which was good to see. Um, you know, I think Andrew Marty still gives them a, a lot of spark, um, but I think you can see at the same time, you know, he's he's far from mistake prone, right? With uh, it got off kind of a rough start. You know, the the first play of the game, perfect out pattern, perfect throw, and JJ Jefferson just drops it. Um, so getting off on that foot wasn't great. And then having the, the three turnovers, especially too late when, when the game was, was still kind of up in the air was unfortunate, but yeah, I, it's, it's tough, right? You know, I'm, I'm still continually impressed with, with Evan hole and, and the way he plays. And, and I think he's a star that needs to touch the ball in every which way. Um, but, and, and Steph, Stephon Robinson had a great game as well. I think, yeah. you know, he's, he's a real playmaker. Um, you know, a little frustrated with some of the, the offensive calls when it came to, you know, trick plays and whatnot. I think they were, you know, ill-timed and, and ill-executed. Um, but I think, you know, the, the quarterback just has to be more consistent, right? Making throws and, and not turning the ball over. Yeah, we've seen that he's got the ability and he shows that at times. And, I, and I'll tell you, I, I think you look at that, the defense, which we've talked about a lot here over the course of the season and certainly has had some moments where they've really struggled, um, I, I think you're seeing some growth there. And I think the fact that they gave 
Northwestern a chance in this game against the Hawkeyes. And granted, Iowa was playing a guy at quarterback who really hasn't played very much uh, for most of the game as uh, Padilla came on to replace Petrus. But still, I mean, we saw what he could do also. He's pretty good. And this defense kept them out of the end zone in the second half. And really, after their first two drives uh, and when Padilla came in. So I thought that the defense showed some maturity there, forcing a stop. I mean, they got, they got the Iowa off the field there at the end and gave Northwestern the ball with two minutes to go. No timeouts at that point, but, but still. And then Marty gets picked off. But I think maybe you're seeing something there with the defense that maybe a little bit of maturity, maybe a little more of a comfort level there with uh, some of the changes they've made. I agree. I think anytime you hold a, a Big Ten opponent to 17 points, you know, you, you expect to win. Um, and I think the defense has, has really come along from the first couple games of, of looking, frankly, confused and inexperienced. Um, I think they, they're playing great. Uh, they just need more help on offense. And, and as we talked about, you know, it's not, you know, an offense and a defense. It's, it's a whole team and everything that the offensive the offense does, you know, leaks into the defense. So if they're, they're not seeing great production from the offense or they're on the field a while, um, they're going to give up some points, but overall, I think they're playing great. Uh, you know, they have they have a lot of talented guys, and and like you said, you know, getting a lot more experience and maturity that will pay dividends in future years. But obviously, that doesn't make uh, the Cats fans feel any better in the moment. Well, the Big Ten West is up for grabs, and and you certainly would have thought that if that would be the case in November, that Northwestern, which has wanted two of the last three years, would be somewhere in the picture. But uh, it's. It's Minnesota, it's Purdue, it's Illinois, and I'm sorry, Iowa, and Wisconsin, the team the Wildcats will be facing this Saturday. And Wisconsin's got control of their destiny now. They've reeled off five straight wins, four straight in the conference. Uh, they've got Northwestern on Saturday, then a home game with Nebraska, and then the battle for Paul Bunyan's axe up at Minnesota. Minnesota's in that group, uh, Purdue's in that group, and Iowa's in that group. If you look at uh, those four teams the one that probably you would think has a little bit of a tougher road is purdue which has to go to ohio state and uh, and play the buckeyes although uh, let's face it purdue they've already knocked off two teams that were ranked in the top 10 when they played them so i i don't think that they're going to go into the horseshoe feeling intimidated at all yeah, I agree. I think Purdue and of the three teams you, you just, or the, the teams that you just ran through, Purdue's definitely a, a different type of team, more explosive on offense and, and probably more exciting to watch. Uh, but to your point, losing to Wisconsin and then, you know, going into Ohio State presents, you know, a tough challenge. But if nothing else, it'll be exciting towards the end of the year. And that's what you look for in the West. Well, you know, again, Minnesota, a team that controlled their destiny and then stubbed their toe on Illinois. You have to be impressed by Illinois and what Brett Bielema has done in his first year with road wins at Penn State. <laughs> no matter how they accomplished it, uh, that's a huge road victory for them. And and then to go up to Minnesota and the Golden Gophers rolling and coming off a 41-14 win in Evanston the week before and going home, everybody's excited. They're tied for uh, first or actually in position to to as i mentioned to win the west and then uh really never got going in that game i know they scored late but they were down 14 nothing quickly and uh really had trouble 
all day getting their offense going. So now you look at it. You've got Minnesota, Purdue, Wisconsin, and Iowa. And Iowa, with Minnesota at home this week, Illinois at home, and then they close it out the day after Thanksgiving at Nebraska. Should Wisconsin stumble, and should Iowa beat Minnesota this week? And again, I don't think you can chalk up that Illinois game as an automatic win for Iowa, but still, uh, you have to look at that as, you know, they're they're probably still in decent shape to, to recover from those back-to-back losses they suffered to Purdue and Wisconsin. I would think so, right? It seems like they have the easiest road, and, and um, if they can take care of business with teams that they, they should beat. Um, but to your point, you know, Illinois and, and Nebraska are frankly wild cards in my in my mind. Mm-hmm. Um, Nebraska's, I think, better than people think. They, they continue to find ways to lose games, but their defense is really good, um, and their offense is explosive, right? They, they turn the ball over here and there, and they've lost some games. But I think they hung with Ohio State. They can hang with anybody, and they can beat anybody. Um, and then Illinois, at the end of the day, you know, Brett Bielema, he's a good coach. You know, they might not have the talent that he, he's used to, but he's a good coach, and he's going to find a way to, to keep games close and, and win games. So I think, if nothing else, they're, they're two tough teams that can surprise anybody. That's a big rivalry. I, I mentioned the Nebraska game. It didn't mean to shrug that off because that Nebraska-Iowa series is very intense. They play on that Friday uh, the day after Thanksgiving, that's when Colorado and Nebraska used to play every year when Nebraska was in the Big 12. And, and yeah, you're right. I mean, Nebraska has not been an easy out. It, was, it wasn't an easy out for Ohio State last week or for Michigan uh, earlier in the season. So, uh, yeah, I mean, that could be a tough game for Iowa. How about the East, Dan? You've got Ohio State alone in first place there, 6-0. and Michigan State and Michigan both at 5-1. and But those teams still have to face each other. I mean, Michigan and Michigan State have already played each other, but uh, Michigan State still plays at Ohio State. Ohio State still plays at Michigan. So it kind of feels like if the other teams take uh, really take care of business, Michigan State hosting Maryland this week, Uh, Michigan's got a tough game at Penn State, and then they go to Maryland before hosting Ohio State. But Assuming they win the games you would expect them to win, um, you know, it seems like Ohio State still has the upper hand there. I agree. I, but you just listed off Ohio State's schedule, and it's, it's no cakewalk either, right? You know, I think Purdue, they're, Michigan they're State, game. Michigan, yeah. Right. So, I mean, for them to, to drop one game or and, and, and lose a tiebreaker isn't outside of the realm of possibility. I agree. You know, they're they're definitely the most talented team um, when their quarterback's playing well and their defense is playing well, um, and they control their own destiny. So again, it, it's it's not a foregone conclusion by any stretch of the imagination. Um, it'll be fun to watch. They have pushed themselves down into the top four, also in the playoff rankings this week, with Georgia, Alabama, Oregon ahead of them. And of course, Oregon beat them. Ohio State fourth, and Cincinnati creeps up one spot to number five. They got to go on the road Friday night and play a game at South Florida. But to this point, still feel like uh, they are getting short shift here and uh, being left out of that top four. Then it gets really interesting with Michigan and Michigan State, six and seven in the playoff rankings. I mean, just a couple of weeks ago, the Spartans beat the Wolverines, and uh, this past 
week. Michigan State lost to Purdue, a wild game there. And they're both 8-1, and one, and now Michigan has moved ahead of Michigan State despite losing to the Spartans. So, I don't know. It seems to me that at least at this point, if you're if you've beaten a team head to head, there should be some residual value in that, at least for I don't know, more than what's it been, ten days since that game took place? Exactly. And I think it, the committee will will correct it um at the end of the day if, if both teams continue to play well. Um, there's just no chance that if you beat somebody head to head and you're behind them and you both have one loss or two losses that you remain behind them. Um but at the end of the day, again, it, it just, you know, it's a human committee making human decisions and, and not calculating things on a, you know, quantitative basis. It's all, you know, their best guess. Um, so I think, you know, it's just another reason for, for folks to look at expanding the playoff to, to some, some amount that, that lets things get decided on the field. But other than that, I think, I think the, the top five is, is pretty fair. Um, like we talked about before, Cincinnati on the outside looking in. Um, with the one win against Notre Dame is, is a good win, but again, they're, they're week in and week out. They're not playing the, the caliber of teams that the other top, you know, five or 10 teams right. are, are playing. So I think they deserve to be at five. And they haven't won all that easily either the last few weeks. I mean, right. they've, they've struggled a little bit. Well, the Big Ten West is jumbled up right now, to say the least. A pleasure to be joined by Matt LePay, the outstanding voice of the Wisconsin Badgers. He'll be hosting the Wildcats Saturday at Camp Randall Stadium. Always a, a great matchup. This has been a great rivalry over the years. Dan and I were talking about it a little bit, Matt, but uh, you know, there have been times where one team you would think would be a decisive favorite and yet they end up losing it. And mo- most of the time, Wisconsin's been the favorite going into this game as, as they are again this year. But it just seems like for whatever reason, this rivalry tends to bring out the best in in both of these teams and i'm not saying it's always been pretty i know there have been a lot of turnovers over the years but it's a very competitive battle every year yeah it really is and i think rivalry is the perfect term because both programs have taken turns punching each other in the gut right i mean when you're split down the middle over the last three decades the way this series has been um it really is. And they're two good programs, right? I mean, these are the two programs that for the last, what, six years, five years, have uh, one or the other has gone to Indianapolis for the Big Ten championship game. So, yeah, it's been – I think there are certain games that always stand out to me, Dave. I think of the uh, – what was that crazy overtime game? We're going back to, what, 2000 here in Madison? Um, double like double a, overtime and double overtime, Damian yeah. Anderson, yeah. Yeah, and there have been a lot of games – you know that have been maybe not that high scoring, but but a, but some, uh, but kind of one side just tears the heart out of the other. <laughs> so it's going to be. I guess it'll be interesting to see what happens in this next chapter. Yeah, well, no question because certainly the Badgers have put themselves into a great spot here with three games to go in the regular season. And Matt, I just want to get your thoughts on where things changed. For Wisconsin, is it really that maybe they didn't change that much, but uh, their one and three start really reflected the teams they were facing early in the year? I think in part that's that's fair. It was front loaded. Uh, you know, when you open against Penn State, and and that was really a coulda shoulda game. Wisconsin, uh, you know, out 
outgained Penn State, statistically dominated a lot of the statistics, but turned it over, had a lot of trouble in the red zone. Uh, Notre Dame game was close. They actually led by three early in the fourth quarter, and then the wheels fell off. Michigan, they were in there going into the fourth quarter. Then the wheels fell off. But I, I think, long story short, Dave, they've been able to to run the ball much better. They have found a certain level of continuity in the offensive line. They were rotating the interior three a lot more in those early games than they are now. They still had players in and out of the lineup with injuries, but there has still been something closer to continuity. And they've had a good one-two punch with Ches Malusi and Braylon Allen. As we speak, don't know the status of Malusi this week. He went down with an injury last week during the Rutgers game, but they really have been able to find it on the ground in this game. And slowly but surely, they're getting a little bit more done in the passing game with Graham Mertz, who had his best game maybe since last season's opener against Illinois. Didn't throw it a lot, but didn't play, but two and a half quarters. But he was pretty effective after an early interception. He settled in and had a pretty good day. You know, I look at the rushing numbers and going back to that Illinois game where this streak began, but 391 yards, uh, then kind of surviving that that battle with Army, which is always a tough matchup, wherever you play them, whenever you play them, um, going to Purdue and winning. And that was a close game, right? That was tied at halftime. Yeah, the Purdue game, yeah, that was that final score is probably a little deceiving. Wisconsin took over in the second half of that game. And a big part of it from in these last, what, three games now, Dave, for the Badgers, the defense, which has been so good all year, it's brought it up another level by creating turnovers. It got five of them in the Purdue game, and that has that old line about how that can become contagious. I think it has to some extent with this team. But, yeah, they were able – it was Wisconsin, the team, able to break it open in the second half in the Purdue game, and it's been a been a pretty good role since what they did to Iowa and then obviously last week going to Rutgers in a game that, you know, I, I thought Wisconsin – would be able to win it, but had no idea that they would win it that convincingly. 52-3. Go ahead, Dan. Matt, thanks again for joining us. Um, unfortunately, at least for, for the Wildcat fans, this, this game doesn't mean as much in the West that, that it does for, for Wisconsin. Um, so hopefully uh, Wisconsin's ready to go. But going back to, to Graham Mertz um, and, and kind of his development, I think early in the season it, it seemed at least like like Coach Chris wanted to, to give him a longer leash and help let him win games. But I think that quickly unraveled on them, and they, they, they went back to the, to the running game and the old Wisconsin way uh, and just controlled the ball. Where, where do you think Graham Mertz is from a, from a development stage mentally? You know, what's, what's his attitude been? Because it's been, again, he had a lot of hype last year, then kind of fell off a, off a cliff, and then hype coming into this year, then didn't perform. And um, so it's been a, an up-and-down career for what I think is a really you know, talented guy. Um, so kind of what's the inside story there? Yeah, I think I always wonder, and it's hard, it's impossible for me to get inside the head of Graham Mertz, but he is the, the most highly regarded recruit since they've rated recruits uh, that, that Wisconsin's had at the position. And I always wonder if you, you get so wrapped up in trying to live up to that. His first game last year was pretty magical for him five touchdown passes. Um, pretty hard to, to keep that kind of pace going. And, and then he had COVID and a lot of other players had COVID. So you kind of give 
a pass to the team and give him a, a certain amount of a pass last year just because of the disruption. Um, I, I've always thought, just from my layman's eyes, Dan, that that you know Graham does check all the boxes physically. Um, I, I think that first game against Penn State, he just he just simply missed some throws, and there have been some times where maybe he locks on to the primary receiver and. Defenses are pretty smart. They they notice that they they take advantage of that. And, and in talking with Paul Christ early in the year, well, to be fair to Graham, there were times where the protection wasn't very good, but there were other times where the protection was. Graham still rushed things a little bit. Feet weren't always set, and you know all the the, the mechanics that you would understand far better than I just weren't there in sync for Graham. But everybody I know who talks about Graham. It, the confidence never wavered that much. The work ethic certainly never wavered. And again, it's step by step that he has been protecting the ball better. You know, he's thrown eight or eight interceptions. Four of those came in the Notre Dame game and a couple right. pick, pick sixes late when things just got out of hand. Um, he has settled in, but you know, he's not throwing it much more than 15. 18 times a game, the Purdue game, they only needed him to throw it eight times. So they haven't asked him to do a whole lot. So the question is when that time comes, when he's going to have to make multiple plays, throwing the ball is Graham and the rest of this offense capable of doing it. I think right now I feel a lot better that the answer could be yes. Now than if this question, if you would have posed this question a few weeks ago. Right. And in my opinion, it's, you know, for, for Wisconsin or frankly, any team to compete, you know, in the big 10 West or, you know, beat the, the East champion and, and compete nationally, you've got to have, you know, that full package and, and full package and quarterback certainly plays a big part of that is, is the, are the Wisconsin fan base kind of yearning for that development and wanting to see a little bit more fireworks and, and looking back to the Scott Tolzines or the Russell Wilson's that elevate the program into, you know, the top 10, um, is that something they're they're getting a little impatient with, or where where's their thoughts there? Oh, never, never on social media. No one would ever tweet <laughs> from mommy's basement, you know, taking shots at, at Graham. He's he really. It's interesting, uh, Dan, that you ask, really, because you know, I've the last eight years I've spent time uh, filling in with the Milwaukee Brewers, and I kind of it's a very loose comparison. But Christian Yelich, who was the MVP three years ago and could have been two years ago, he said back-to-back really tough years. But from my corner of the world, it seems like Graham Mertz has been scrutinized more harshly uh, in the last year or so than Yelich. Uh, Now, Yelich has equity with what he's done in his career. But I I think in our state, and and I think in Illinois as well, I would imagine, it speaks to the popularity of football. I mean, people just live for it. And uh, Graham has been a real tester, you know, for anybody, but especially a college athlete, how, how, how well are you able to block most of that out? He says all the right things. He's a confident guy, but yeah, it's been, uh, you know, the fan base is, you know, they're waiting for um, Graham Mertz to be the next Aaron Rodgers, Brett Favre, whatever, um, a step at a time. Um, but yeah, you know how fans get. And I think Graham's had to deal with some of that. Well, Matt, if you look at uh, this crazy Big Ten West, and and I'll be the the first to say, if you had told me that uh, in the second week of November, 
that there would be a four-way tie for first in the Big Ten West, and Northwestern would not be a part of that after winning the division the year before. I, I would have been very shocked by that. But just the fact you got four teams sitting there in a tie with three games to go is is pretty remarkable. But really, the Badgers, with the Wildcats this week, Nebraska next week at home, and then at Minnesota, uh, they've got control of their destiny now. I mean, this is a, pr- a pretty dramatic turn of events for a team that a lot of people were questioning just about a month, uh, a little over a month ago. Yeah, it is. If you would have told me that Wisconsin was going to be part of that four-way tie in the West uh, at the end of September, I, I might have looked at you sideways too, <laughs> though, because they, you know, they were struggling so much offensively i think the the good part about this group and then we'll all watch it play out um they know that if they protect the ball first and foremost they've been able to get that turnover margin closer to break even when it was minus 11 not too many weeks ago but if they can protect the football they have a chance to win the rest of their games here uh, certainly in the regular season uh, because the defense has just been that good. But I think they also know if they don't, they could lose any or all of them the rest of the way because they're they're showing signs of some explosiveness offensively. But I would imagine every defensive coordinator says, let's make them go 75 yards in, in a dozen plays because eventually our defense will make a play against the Wisconsin offense. So I, uh, it's a group that is playing with a great deal of confidence right now, but I think there's still enough there that they know they need to get better at to be able to do what they need to do in these final three regular season games. Well, it'd be something if the battle for the axe is to decide the Big Ten West, which is not beyond the realm of possibility. I mean, that could happen. Uh, it's up in Minnesota, right, to uh, to end the season? Yeah, and that was the case a couple of years ago up there. It was it was all on the line. Oh right, was, yeah, nineteen. It, it was yeah, it was a classic scene too, right? I mean, imagine it snows up here this time of year, but up in Minnesota, the sun, the snow was kind of pounded down for a time in the second half. It was a, it was a classic scene, and it was a good game. Wisconsin was able to pull away as the second half went along, but yeah, that was uh, you know they've had a couple of these pretty high stakes games between the two programs and you know they don't like each other to begin with so it's always fun mm-hmm. but the fact that the stakes have been you know could again be potentially really high this year and it's been in the past uh but that you know i sound like a uh coach wannabe here they, they got to get there first and these mm-hmm. guys are well aware that northwestern has been a major <laughs> pain to these people you know, rewind uh, the clock all the way to last year down right. down there at evanston so uh, i think there's there's a confidence with this team but uh, i also believe there's enough humble uh in this team too to know that they they can't just show up and expect to win and no snow saturday right no, knock on wood. Maybe 40 degrees, though, Dave. It, okay. It's getting there. That's Winter's okay. coming. It's that time of year. Hey, Matt, appreciate the time as always. Look forward to seeing you at Camp Randall Stadium this weekend. My pleasure, Dave. Good talking to you and Dan. Take care. Thanks, Matt. All right, it's time to get to our predictions. And for that, this is the highlight of the week. You know that, Dan, right? You're in agreement with me on this. Sure. It's 
time for Super Joe's predictions. Prediction to say or estimate a specified thing will happen in the future. Super, Super Joe's predictions. predictions. All right, a, a bit of a losing streak for your boy here. Yeah, so it gotta, happens. It, it happens. happens. Happens to the best of us. And look, the cats have struggled. So uh, we got to get back on tr- on track. And for that, I'm going to the well, and I'm going to Ohio State uh, hosting Purdue. I had a feeling. Yep, going to the over here. Um, these are the top two passing teams in the Big Ten. Purdue uh, throwing for over 330 yards a game. Ohio State over 350 passing yards per game. Purdue's Aiden O'Connell uh, went for 536 against the Spartans last week. Unbelievable. And uh, David Bell, his uh, primary target, um, he, he went past the 1,000-yard uh, marker with 217 of those yards. Uh, C.J. Stroud, Ohio State's quarterback, last five games. Check this out. 405. 305, 266 in the rain in Bloomington, 406, and 330 yards. So I think the ball is going to be in the air in Columbus and that they will pass that uh, 62 total. Um, You guys talked about it a little bit earlier in the show that Ohio State could be on upset alert. I don't see it being super close, but I do see them uh, going over the total of 62. Well, Purdue's got that track record. Yeah, they sure do. They've got a history. And they've got a history against Ohio State, too. Yeah, they smoked them in uh, in West Lafayette. Yet a couple years ago, um, it, it's. I think they said it on the broadcast a few times against Michigan State. They have 17 wins after beating Michigan State. 17 wins as an unranked AP top 25 or as an unranked team against a top five AP team. How about that? That's crazy. That is that is crazy. That that will be a good one. And and Dan, next week uh, the Wildcats play at Wrigley Field. We'll talk more about that next week uh, of course last time they played there you were on the team but you weren't able to play unfortunately in the the game there in 2010 that was a tough day for the cats against the Illini but we're going to see Aiden O'Connell and Purdue there next week and this guy has I I think Jeff Brom has the quarterback he wants he's got the offense cooking even though you know I think a lot of people looked at uh, what they lost this year, they certainly they had David Bell coming back, and that's been huge for him. It'll be a fun game to watch, you know. Absolutely, I think at the end of the day, the the back end of Northwestern will be tested, just like they were last year against Purdue, and and they stood up to the test last year, and and we'll see how they do this year. I, I still think it's probably the strongest point of their defense, um, the back seven or eight folks yeah. that they have in there, depending mm-hmm. on the defense. So it'll be fun to watch in a great atmosphere. Yeah, it should be. Looking forward to that. But first things first, looking forward to a trip up to Camp Randall Stadium on Saturday. We'll see how the Cats do against the Badgers. Of course, we'll have the game on WGN Radio Saturday morning uh, starting at 1030. Dan, have a great week, and we will check in with you again this time next week. Thanks, guys. That's Dan Persa. Many thanks to Matt LaPay for joining us today and also super joe romano i'm dave ennett for dan persa thanks for joining us for collegiately speaking we'll talk to you again next week